What is going on, people? Welcome back to another episode of the Uncensored Critic Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me again for another very special episode with another very special guest. And today, my guest is the great Rebecca Renee. Did I did, did I pronounce that right? Your surname, Renee? Is that the right right way? Hey, Sassy Posh. It's actually Rini. Oh, Rini. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Renee makes me sound much fancier. It's Rini then. Okay, so Rebecca, Rini, there we go. So let's start that one again. <laughs> okay, so Rebecca and I, uh, I've had the pleasure of working with Rebecca recently on our recent show at GSA Widows by Ariel Dorfman and Tony Kushner. And uh, Rebecca sort of introduced us to the work that she'd done on her MA course, which she's finishing this year at Central. And um, yeah, and it was a genuine pleasure to work alongside her and to learn all about different things related to movement. Although I wasn't mainly there, she works with mostly the girls on their movement sequence stuff, but all the same, it was good to work on other things as well, like the fight sequence that we did and everything, which was a lot of fun, even though I was the one getting beaten up. So, <laughs> but, uh, but it was good fun. So anyway, let's take a moment to introduce Rebecca. Rebecca is a British movement director with, and teacher with over 25 years of professional experience working in the performing arts industry as an actress and as a dancer. Her movement heritage began with ballet, tap and jazz from a young, from a young age to a professional level where she transitioned to movement as a more somatic healing journey, leading to her 200 hour certified yoga instructor, facilitator in chakra dance and yoga body breath coach. Uh, she began her career working on the musical Saturday Night Fever as an associate director. In 2018, her movement directing debut was the short film Christina's World, which became part of the official selection for the Cascadia Dance Film Festival in 2019, both in San Francisco and in Washington, D.C. And the short, move, short film Moved, which you can catch on the central website in her bio, which is, I think is a wonderful piece of work, was selected for the Phoenix Dance Film Festival and L.A. Shorts in 2020. She has taught across prestigious drama schools across the UK, having been currently at Central and also at GSA. At the end there. Uh, she's taught Shakespeare and physical theatre throughout America as part of the Shakespeare for a New Generation program and is part of the faculty team of the award-winning drama school in Los Angeles and in London, and then is called the Identity School of Acting. And even more so, her uh, credential as an actress, she has worked in the West End and some of the shows she's worked on are Blood Brothers, The Mousetrap, Fame, Singing in the Rain, and Oh What a Night, directed by Kim Gavin, who was involved in the 2012 uh, London Olympics. Uh, New York and US tours include Aquila's theatre productions of Macbeth, Hamlet, The Importance of Being Earnest, and Sense and Sensibility. Various TV appearances, including Amy Barlow in BBC Doctors, PC Lewis in ITV's Emmerdale, uh, Lenny Henry's BBC comedy pilot, Rudy's Rare Records. Great alliteration there. <laughs> Inter, uh, international films include a work on the epic Tarzan 3D, a warning uh, award-winning children's film, The Kids from 62F, and Buttons, A Christmas Story, alongside Dick Van Dyke and Angela Lansbury, plus international recognition for the, her lead role in Kayleen in, as Kayleen in Sonny J's music video, Hands Free, directed by BAFTA-nominated Erin Creevy. And if that's not enough, she is also fluent in two languages, one of them being English and the other one being German. And I, my goodness, what a smattering of words. That, that's so impressive. Like, there must be insane hearing all that out loud. Like, what does that do to your head? <laughs> it makes me feel like I'm 107 years old when I hear that. <laughs> <laughs> nonsense, nonsense. <laughs> That's, that's impressive. Like you've worked across, you know, we were talking just before we came on, you know, you've worked in 
in London and in the UK and of course you get across the pond every now and then to talk talk about your work in Los Angeles and I suppose to kick off really today before we sort of I have sort of a main question to kick things off but just before we get into that um, what's the difference between working in the UK as well as in America or is it kind of the same or is there kind of culture differences? Um, Massively and I think we believe that we are very similar because we speak the same language Mm. Um, but actually culturally we're massively different and in terms of acting very very different industries Um, we have a huge historical theatre history in the UK um, and in Los Angeles it's all about Hollywood making movies in the studios and it's a very different energy Um, and both I think are really valuable and both serve and and both you can learn a lot from but one thing that Hollywood runs on is energy so it runs on the energy that you bring to the room right there right now it's less about where have you trained where have you worked and more about where are you right now what do you bring to the table Mm. um whereas the UK it's it's steeped in much more history and tradition and established institutions that um a lot of people more uh, question you know, where did you train have you worked at the rsc have you worked at the national have and there's much more um history i think in heritage in the uk mm. yeah definitely definitely so um so yeah uh, i think to begin at the beginning as dylan thomas says uh this is a question i sort of have adopted with all my guests now is i'm always interested in the beginning of an artist's journey. So for yourself, where did the inspiration to become interested in movement and as well as acting, uh, where did it all begin? Where did it come from? I think um, it's not that romantic sounding how I started dancing. I think I genuinely wasn't making friends and my mom wanted me to make friends. So she sent me to ballet class. I think that's the truth of it. Um, (laughs) In terms of movement and I, part of my MA course was that the first week we had to present our movement heritage to the group mm-hmm. which was like a 15 minute presentation of our movement through the moment we're born until the present day which is an amazing exercise which is very much um, something I'm taking further into actor training but the one thing I realized was that I'm deep down just a little child of nature and I used to be just picking flowers and moving around the gardens skipping jumping into puddles, um, very kind of governed by the seasons. And then at about five, I went to ballet class uh, and loved it and really loved the structure of it and loved everything. Um, I was very short-sighted, so I couldn't actually see. Um, So I think I quite liked the form and the structure of ballet because it was very like I knew we'd start at the bar. I knew then we'd go into the center. I knew how it would progress every week. So I started with that and what I loved, I think, was telling stories through dance. So I loved ballet for that. And then I became involved with all of the competitions that you do as a child. And my dance school was very rigorous advanced training for a local dance school. It's Livingston Academy of Dance. They're based actually in the West Midlands. Mm. Um, And actually Drew McConey, he went to that school, who's actually um, a choreographer that I've worked with and is very prolific Mm. in the dance circuit in the UK Um, and I started there and then transitioned more into wanting to tell stories with my voice so I went from being a dancer uh, I started working at 16 in Singing in the Rain Mm. Um, 
I went to, it's now the Birmingham Conservatoire, but I did a postgraduate in acting at the um, Birmingham School of Acting. Mm-hmm. It still stayed in musical theatre until I sort of transitioned more into plays. Uh, I was always interested in, yeah, being that voice for the voiceless, feeling things and uh, putting those stories across, whether that was through dance, through acting. Um, and then I think when I moved to uh, Germany, which was after a good 15 years in the industry, I sort of started to become very interested on the other side of the industry about the creative side. And that's when I first started working with Ryan McBride. Mm. He's the artistic director at the Mercury in Colchester right now. But I became his resident director for a couple of shows that I worked on with him. I worked as an actor as well as a resident director and I sort of really started to get interested into that side of things and one of the shows we worked on was Saturday Night Fever mm-hmm. and I became very interested in how to support actor musicians with choreography and how I wanted to find a way for actors to embody um, the choreography as opposed to when you teach choreography to a dancer it's very very quick and they just pick it up and they do it. Whereas for an actor and an actor musician, particularly, that they don't all have history in dance. So it was, I became very interested in making dance accessible to anyone and everyone. Mm. Um, yeah, and that, and that took me sort of into a very different side of things. I still continue to act. I moved to Los Angeles then. Um, I was training with some great acting coaches in Los Angeles. I was working with Aquila Theatre in Shakespeare. Um, which was wonderful. But again, I started to feel that my passion for acting was waning and that my passion for coaching actors, for teaching movement to actors and movement direction was becoming much more prominent. And I think that lined up with, at the same time, I had um, a bit of a sort of uh, health scare. I suddenly uh, went running which was very normal for me to I was a keen runner and I suddenly couldn't breathe and it was uh, a long story short it was very terrifying at the time when I went to the doctors they said we think you've got asthma which was really strange to suddenly have Mm. developed asthma very late on in my life and that prompted me to then start looking at more healing types of movement which led me down the path of yoga and then working with um the seven energy centers, the chakras in the body, mm. um, which hand in hand has now facilitated the work I do with actors. And has taken me back to where we've started from really, which is movement, connection to um, the movement within us, tuning back into ourselves and using movement as a form of self-discovery, uh, self-knowledge, as well as for actors for transformation into different characters. Wow, that's, that's fascinating. That's so cool. Uh, yeah, that, that's, I don't know why, but I just get this image of like, because one thing I think you instill on us, well, I think all the movement people sort of instill on us in drama school is like, there's like performativity in everything in a way. So like even just like you said just now, like pick, picking flowers or something like that. And just that small, generous movement is just can create something really quite, quite extraordinary in a way I just I get this image of like yourself like walking through Regent's Park and you're seeing kids pick flowers and just like either they're being very quick or they're being very very slow and you're thinking that's a very 
lovely movement you're doing there. I might use that for a bit later. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. It yeah. is fascinating. I yeah. think if you watch people, and I think that's a huge thing coming from being an actor, um, which we are, as you are now as well, obviously, you're nearly completing your MA. Yeah. Um, we are hugely fascinated by the human condition. Mm. So people watching for us is just a great hobby because we can just sit, have a coffee and watch people go by and uh, create backstories, be fascinated, for me, fascinated in how they move, their little mannerisms, you know, how would I describe that in a language? Um, and I think, yeah, I'm always finding moments of like, ah, oh, that's beautiful. I think as well, I've always viewed the world in quite a cinematic way. Like I see a, an image, a shot that I'm like, oh, that would be a wonderful shot. Um, and it, it often involves nature or something moving or colours or just a story without words. Yeah. Because there's so much said without words. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And it was lovely, actually, on my way um, to have this meeting with you. I was listening to your podcast and I was listening to Rose Ryan. All right. Who I've just uh, only met last year, uh, which has been wonderful. And I feel really lucky that I got both Rose and Sabs on the production of Widows as my mm. movement gurus and, and mentors and um, uh, leaders. Um, it was wonderful. But um, yeah. what was I talking about with Rose? Yeah, she, um, we were talking very much about how. Um, how everything is very connected back to yourself and yeah. that breath and that sensation in yourself. Um, so yeah, I do. I think humans are fascinating. And this is something that I'm very passionate about is yeah. that I believe actors are incredibly important because they remind us what it is to be human. And I think we, yeah. And this is, I think, I, this is from Vanessa Ewan, who's one of my course leaders on the MA course at Central School of Speech and Drama. She says that actors have to be more real in unreal circumstances, mm. whereas we are in the real world behaving quite unreal. We've always got a mask on, we're pretending, we're, we're showing ourselves in a way that we want to be accepted or we want to fit in or we want to, or we feel like we should be behaving in a certain way. And then suddenly yes. actors have to come into a studio or a rehearsal room and drop that, drop yeah. that pretense. And we go, okay, let's, let's get back to who you really are. Let's get back to the real, because that is the stuff that's the most compelling to watch. It's the stuff that all of the people that turn on Netflix, turn on the TV, that's why they turn it on because they want to feel, mm. because they're not necessarily feeling always in the real world. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? No, I, amen to that. That is absolutely right. On that's, I've, I've always thought that, but you've just articulated that just brilliantly about just, you know, the, the pretense and stuff like that that we have in life. and. It's funny how I think it was Brand Marlon Brando who said that people act on a daily basis. So people just in life in general. And it's funny, as you say, you come to the rehearsal room and suddenly it's like, okay, the mask now falls away, the pretense yeah. melts away. And it's like, okay, uh, this is actually who I am. And it's like, I didn't recognize this person when you walked in. <laughs> it's like, and it's you're a completely different person. And it's like it's it's fantastic. 
well, I think fantastic. I think in a in a constructive way, in that you know it melts away all pretense, and I think you're like, okay, well, yeah, I do light up a little bit, don't I? And it's hard to recognise with yourself sometimes. I mean, we wear different masks for different people. We have different interactions. This is, I think, something that is definitely my future work and yeah. something that I became very aware of when I started working for Identity. Yeah. Femi Ogans, who created Identity School of Acting 18 years ago in London, he wanted to create a different um, type of drama school. It's a part-time drama school to begin with as well, but he called it Identity. Yeah. And he's very big on students finding their identity. Yeah. Um, and something that he would often talk about is this sense of uh, the actors need to trust and know that they are enough. Mm. And I loved that. And it was, it, it ignited something in me, which has been very much the work I do now with movement, um, with actor training, is that we have to get back to this real authentic self. And that's, that's who you are. It's not your identity based on the job you've got, what's in your bank account, who your friends are, where you come from, that's not really as much your identity as opposed to you just being, mm. just you with your, you know, impulsive sensations, instincts, thoughts that come from you and your makeup and your heritage and your experiences. And when actors can, can really trust that, that's when you see truth mm. and reality and humanity. And in effect, it's, a little bit like you said, it's kind of letting the uh, pretenses dissolve and you realize how hard, um, hard's not the word, but it is the resistance to let that happen because it's something that we don't do in normal life, which really leads me on to think that actors are the most extraordinary humans in the world because of that reason. And I think more important now than they've ever needed to be for the, yeah. the reason I mentioned earlier, which is to remind the world of what it is to feel, to experience life fully, um, to tell those stories. Mm. Um, especially now that we're all online, bent over our phones, even our bodies are changing because we're bent over our phones. Yeah. You know, young people have forgotten how to communicate, uh, especially with the pandemic, we've had a whole like serious 18 months to nearly two years of not having contact or touch with people, it is more important now than ever that actors have to do that work, which is terrifying and bold and exhilarating and all of those things in one and yeah. continue to do that work so that they can tell the stories of humanity and the human condition. Yeah, that's quote of the episode right there. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's absolutely right. That's, um, it, it, that echoes what Oscar Wilde said, actually. He said, um, I'm going to I'm not going to get this right but he said I regard the theater as the greatest art form because it shows a human being what it is like to be a human being and uh, absolutely yeah absolutely and I think it's always been the case and Shakespeare I'm paraphr we're both paraphrasing two greats right now yeah. paraphrasing wildly now but Shakespeare's you know hold a mirror up to nature mm. to, to show mm. like this is this is what you all do and Hamlet's advice players yeah <laughs> yeah exactly yeah my apologies to both Wilde and Shakespeare there for just oh, paraphrasing. Yeah, oh yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> Don't strike us down now. We love you. <laughs> it's all good. But uh, yeah, I think, um, and again, I'm going to 
which is Oscar Wilde said something else as well, is something that um, the chancellor of my unit, because when I did my graduation ceremony, he stood up, I think it was Sanjeev, it was a meet, um, oh no, what was it called? It, it was in the Kumars. It was like the, the main guy. Yes. The son, yeah, he's an amazing man. It's just so lovely. He stood up there and he said to all of us, as Oscar Wilde said, be yourself, everyone else is taken. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And I think that takes me to something else, which is, um, I'm not sure we all really know who we are. I think the majority of us have put on, again, the masks from a very, very young age of who we think we should be or how we have to behave to survive, to fit in, to whatever. And I think that's absolutely valid. <laughs> and yes, suddenly we have to go, hold on, do I actually even like doing that? Do I really like that person? Do I? And we question it because we've got so used to behaving in that way that we actually don't know who the um, authentic self is. This is a lot of the work I did with like all the chakras and that movement side of thing of energy centers and Carl Jung's um, theories of the authentic self and how we have to strip back to um, almost unlearning everything that we thought we were mm. and get right back and, and it really does start with connecting back into the breath, the body, becoming aware of sensation, um, impulse. So it really does lean itself into movement because then when we start listening to that, then we're driven by something real. But when the other thing that I'm a big believer in, and I know like theater practitioners in the past, like Grotowski I'm studying at the moment, they really talk about um, your own story knowing your story and I really believe that you really need to own your own story of life for you to be able to own the stories of the characters you play yeah because if there's a slight disconnect and you you think you're something but it's actually kind of a bit of a pretense of your story and you've you've made your story sound nicer or you've kind of shoveled away certain parts of your life story that you don't really want to talk about and they're sort of in the cupboard slightly let's not talk about that but let's <laughs> and we're sort of not fully owning the story then when you start stepping into the the story of a, a character and suddenly there's there's connections making that that you're either could be triggered by you or like oh that sound feels a bit uncomfortable or something that you're not connecting to and you're like why am I not connecting to that part of the character it's most likely because there's a part of your own story that you've not fully connected to and it's it's something that I think the more we really know who we are the better we can serve everybody yeah. in life but certainly as actors the more you're aware of your story and how we're so multifaceted that we're not just the Instagram worthy versions we're also the sides of us that we're that we don't want to talk about, that we are a bit ashamed of, that we're like, oh, let's just shove that one away. But the more we bring that out and go, yeah, there's the, the anger and the jealousy and all the other stuff and the fear and all of that, that we, the uncomfortable feelings that we don't want to discuss. But actually, the more we have all that out, like, yeah, that makes me feel really uncomfortable. And I find myself shutting down when that happens. And it's information for an actor mm. to go, oh, that's interesting. It helps them understand themselves and their own instrument because don't forget an actor it's the most elusive mysterious craft because not only are you the instrument mm -hmm. you then also have to play the instrument you know a musician gets the instrument and they play it mm -hmm. the dancer has the moves and they can you know execute the moves an actor it's your body your thoughts your emotions your mental state your physical state embodying the story of another character 
but it's still your body, your sensations that you're experiencing. Um, so the more the actor really knows themselves, the more they can then notice connections to characters, uh, notice disconnections. Mm. It builds um, it builds that awareness of humanity, and it has to start with the actor's awareness of their own humanity. And I think, and this goes back again, uh, if actors really go on that journey, and it's not that you do, you know, you do your BA honors in acting or your MA acting, and then that's it, you're an actor. It's a constant, it's a journey that just kind of only really begins the minute you graduate. And then it's a journey for a long, long time. If you choose okay. <laughs> that path. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's. I think Rose says exactly the same thing. Rose Ryan at um, GSI. I think she said. I think she said. I'm not sure if she said it in the episode that we did, but she definitely said it in class. She's interested in like people. They very similar to what you said just now. People walk into the room, and they kind of think, okay, I'm just gonna park. I'm not feeling too great today. I'm just gonna park there and just like put a smile on my face and just do do what I have to do. But Rose was like, no, 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 no. Bring that anger into the room. But don't bring your. Just bring it in. You know, and you know, and. Because that, because with Laban as well, because it helps with the efforts like dab and thrust and slash and all that kind of stuff, especially having like a day like that. But you know, like glide and um, oh no, no, my brain's gone, my brain's gone. Uh, um, press, press um, ring, ring, flick, flick, dab, thrust, yeah. slash, yes. um, float. There's eight of them, yes, float. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah sorry, uh, and uh. But yeah, but it's it's so interesting to have that idea because you know both of your movement people, and it's just like, like bring it into the room and have that authenticity to show and play your instrument as well. You know, we've all you know it's it's quite clear. Obviously, sometimes we play characters which are a massive departure from us. You know, people who may maybe a drug dealer. So I've never been a drug dealer in my life or something like that. But sometimes we play characters we are close to, like um, maybe a kid going to university for the first time or doing that you know you remember that fear and that anxiety that you first felt and it's like oh my god yeah I remember that and you know you bring that to the character and it helps to create because that's our job to be believable and sometimes we have to use ourselves and our own experiences in a way um I'm just think- curious to know actually when it comes to um because there's a big stigma around method acting and stuff you know it's and I've had um some workshops last year last year yeah about demystifying that process like it's not going to live in the jungle for six months to be the character it's not you know i'm talking about daniel day lewis you know he walking around new york with bill the butcher's hat on for six months in new york pretending to be bill the butcher in new york city you know and i think some people sort of think that method acting you know taking stuff from your own life and presenting it like an emotion memory and stuff like that some people say that that it, that's too much or that, that, like they can take it too far in that in that respect. You know, I'm not meaning to discredit anything you're saying. So everything you said today is fantastic. But would you say that there has to be a limit in a way or? Well, I come from, so just to be clear, when I talk about owning your story, mm. that doesn't mean you necessarily are using your story. Yeah. Owning your story is about really getting on a journey with yourself for the whole of your life as yeah. you evolve so that you, um, well, fundamentally makes you a much more rounded, balanced human because you can see everything and, and explore everything and not be afraid of that. I, I think there are two ways of thinking when it comes to um, drawing on your experience 
I'm very much in the camp that I believe we use our imagination as actors. Yeah. And the reason for that, um, when I was an actor and I tried to draw on, you know, personal experiences of something similar, uh, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it because interestingly on a, a neuroscience sort of neurobiological level, um, if you start trying to remember a sad event or a traumatic event, the brain kind of wants to shut down because it's going, mm. why are you thinking about that? I don't want to think about that. Yeah. So it actually shuts down and you can't access it because um, a survival thing kicks in of like, I don't want to think about that, thanks. So mm. you find yourself going, oh gosh, it used to be really sad that now I can't feel anything. So I actually, I'm not one of those believers in drawing on your experience yeah, at all. Because I believe by the age of seven, you've had every emotion you ever need to feel. You've experienced it. Mm. The, the reasons why you felt it will be very different. You know, when you're a child, that sense of despair you felt when you suddenly lost your mom or your parents in the supermarket and you were left in an aisle was deep despair. You felt despair at the age of four. Mm. That's in your body. Yeah. If you're then playing a character that's a drug dealer that's feeling despair, you don't need to have been a drug dealer to feel despair, you felt despair. The only difference is that you're then um, relating it in a different um, what's focus. It's the whatever, the reason why you feel despair is different to the reason you felt despair when you were lost in the supermarket. Yeah. And I think it's really important that for the reasons of mental health in actors, mm -hmm. this is, I guess, my argument as to why I think um, I would not want to draw on, on personal experiences. Yeah, of course. Using your imagination, your imagination can take you to wherever you need to go. Okay. Within that, you're stepping into the shoes and imagining what if, which is that famous what if. Mm -hmm. um, Nicely, yeah. How, if I felt such despair at, you know, if you were a drug addict that not having, you know, um, a, a hit, I'd feel that despair, that rage. It's, it's finding out how and why you're finding the connection the feeling you've already had the feeling so that's where i believe that it is possible that actors can can play different characters some people will have had more life experiences that maybe lend towards that more but i don't think it's about drawing on your experience i think it's about trusting and knowing that your imagination combined with your connection to your body your breath mm -hmm. knowing that you're enough you can find that way and then you you build it, you build what's your need, what do you, what's your, what do you want out of this? Um, what do you get when you get the hit of the drugs? And well, I feel peace, then you're after peace. We all know what it's like to try and go after peace or, you know, support or freedom. So I think it's about um, combining imagination. And um, I think it's the the Warner Lockling technique uses that very much, which Amy Adams uses. Mm. And it's about you create the backstory in your imagination. It's not like, oh, that time when I was 12 and I had that moment and you're trying to recall it, but you're recalling it in a way that's not visceral. But if you take yourself on a journey um, and imagine it and embody it, then it's very powerful and then that's not connected to you and that's where it's very separate there's the there's the art of you telling the story of this character and then there's you you are the vehicle that tells the story so it's going to be your imagination your sensations your emotions but it's not your life 
you're not reliving past traumas or anything it's someone else's story mm-hmm. and that I think supports actors into being aware of like and that's the end of that character now mm-hmm. and now I become you know Rebecca again or you know so playing Lady Macbeth I couldn't ever be <laughs> imagining I was like I wouldn't I wouldn't kill a king I mean if, if you come in like that I wouldn't kill a king yeah. um it's very hard for me to try and get any connection to her but if I connected, which is what I did, to her need to be validated, her need to be important, I absolutely can resonate with that. Mm. A need to be recognized. Yeah, okay, I'll, I can feel that. I felt that, a need to be at least, you know, recognized, important, right? And that's what drives me into that character. Um, so yes, that's, that's my, and so when it comes to Daniel Day-Lewis with wearing the hat, um, I think, I think, and this is something Rose said, and I share Rose's opinion on this. Uh (laughs) And I'm probably now destroying everything that anyone's ever said. Uh (laughs) I do think it has to start with the body. I think you have to get it in your body. You have to walk the text, walk the sentences, feel the rhythms of the text. So you feel the rhythms of how this character thinks. Sitting down at a table, when I used to do that, uh, was was great. Oh, I was brilliant in my head. Oh my gosh, I was playing an amazing Lady Macbeth in my head, um, and I was like, oh yeah. And she'd feel really like this would she be feeling this at this point, and this is where I'd come in and do this. And oh, I saw it beautifully in my head. And then when I got up on my feet and moved, I suddenly felt really awkward. I was like, oh, I don't really, oh, I don't know what to do with my hands. To do my hands. So like suddenly I don't know what to do. And so I think. And it's interesting that this process is still being used because I think yeah. if we were to get in our feet and, you know, let's, what shoes are we wearing? Are we barefoot? What shoes does this character wear? Like find the shoes, Where? what's the terrain we're walking on? What's around me? If you're doing a scene in, in a kitchen and it's your kitchen, let's set the kitchen up because <laughs> how you move then is very different. You know, oh, yeah. if we were having this conversation in my kitchen, I'd know exactly where everything was in my kitchen. Okay. Yeah. And I could move without having to look for everything. I'd know where it all was. I know where the fridge is. I know where the cooker is. I know where my mugs are kept. Um, the more we bring it into the body, then I don't think actors are left flailing going, oh my God, I, I, want, to, I want to get in my body now for this. It, it's, I am in the belief that we need to embody it first and build and build the, the text because it, it all starts with the body. We're yeah. reading the body before you say anything. Yeah. So it's funny how we start with with text sitting down reading and then bring it into the body as opposed to the other way around. Mm. Let's move, let's, 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 you know, think about kids. They do um, make-believe. They pretend that they're a shop owner and they set up the shop and they're doing it all because they're just like, they're fully acting it. Why is it not the same? In a, in a, in a way, we've got to feel like, what's it like to like, you know, to be a, a butcher? What's it like to be a, you know, all of these embodied history, you can tell when someone doesn't embody something. You, you just can, you can totally feel it. So oh, yeah. I'm, my apologies to anyone that is a big believer of the table read. I am, I'm a big believer of the table read when you've moved first. Yes, you first, <laughs> do that. I think uh, your father does that as well. I've heard that she doesn't do, but she doesn't sit down 
with the cast very much. He's like, all right, come on, we're up on our feet. We're moving around. And I think, and that's, I remember like when you came in to lead like the warm ups in our rehearsals for Widows, you know, you would straight away go, all right, guys, let's go. Like up on your feet, walk as the character, you know, get that, get that feeling in your body first. And then the words will come after that, which is, which is, which was great. Uh, I think I've, I've spoke to someone on the show called Christian Patterson, who's a dear friend of mine, lovely man, great actor. And um, he said, uh, always, he said, learn your lines standing up as well. So walk with the lines. To take a, I think someone said, take a line for a walk or something like that. Take your lines with you. Because as you say, like sometimes we read, it at, read our lines at the table going, okay, so to be or not to be, that is the question, but it's never the mind. Something great. Okay, great. I've got it in my head. Stand up. Shit, what was my first line again? <laughs> and you just go. Always. Yeah. And it's almost like the body goes, and then this is me paraphrasing Christian. He goes, the brain suddenly goes, oh, wait, sorry, walking and talking at the same time? Mm-hmm. I, I, thought, I thought we were sitting down for this to be or not to be. And it's like, uh, no, we're walking. Oh, well, no, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just, just not there. And, it's like, and you have to get it up on its feet and, and walk around. So, yeah. I absolutely love um, Barbara Hausman's work and she wrote Tackling Text mm-hmm. and she did Finding Your Voice. And Barbara Hausman is, she's kind of a little bit of an idol for me in terms of applying. Um, she gets you up on your feet to tackle text, to break text down. Yeah. She doesn't get you sat down doing it. She gets you up on your feet. First exercise, walking the sentences. So you walk the sentence which if you've ever walked to be or not to be, that speech, there's only three sentences, I think. And you suddenly become really aware of the length of those sentences, which immediately starts engaging your breath because you're like, oh my gosh, this is the longest sentence in the world. (laughs) And you become aware that if you think of one sentence as one thought, you become aware of the expanse of that thought. And obviously I'm taking Hamlet as one example, and that's obviously a, a, a beautifully composed thought that Hamlet has, but um, it does become, you become aware from the, the, the minute you start walking, you as an actor can start making choices about what you think this character's like. And those choices don't come from your, your cerebral brain, which is only limited to what we've programmed into that, okay? Mm. When you feel in your body, the length of a sentence, whether that's a short sentence or a really long sentence, you'll feel, oh, wow, these sentences are really short. They're really stop start. I feel like I oh, feel quite anxious. I'm feeling like I can't get my words out. I'm not really articulating very, I'm not flowing. You'll feel that rhythm, which immediately gives the actors a choice. I think this character is holding something back. It's the sentences are short. They're very direct. They're very, uh, you know, and it, it gives you information. And then you'll notice when the sentences suddenly really open up and you're suddenly walking and you're like, oh, this is great. This is a really long sentence. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like now the truth's coming out because when we speak in lovely long sentences, we're just free flowing. We're just letting words out. When we're just saying, hi, yeah, I'm fine. We're, we're holding it in. There's a lot there unsaid and we're yeah. just keeping it. And yes, yeah, sometimes it's because it's just a transaction between you and, you know, someone that you don't know yeah I'm fine thank you fine great lovely but you become aware of those rhythms and Barbara Hausman's got a wonderful technique that takes you through from walking the sentences to exploring the sounds to um, physicalizing the words that's really fun I do that with my students as well like they do a scene and I put them both on mute if we're on zoom and they have to physicalize every single word and do the scene purely through movement 
So they're having to really actively listen with their whole body. And suddenly when you move and you have to find a movement for a word you're saying, you'll really notice which words don't sit in your body. You know, a lot of words we can say you, phone, um, drinking. There's lots of things we can do physically to show those words. But then if I was to, yes, you come over here and sit down. Yes. (laughs) Yes, sit down even more. (laughs) Like I'm translating for everyone now with what I'm seeing on Zoom. No, it's fine. It's fine. We'll have, we'll have the visuals on YouTube so everyone will see what we're doing. So it'll be like, you. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, it's um, it frees the actor up. It frees them up. They start connecting to their instincts. I mean, your job. This is something I never got when I was an actor. I always thought, I always thought this is my absolute ignorance. But maybe it's just says a lot about maybe training back then, way back, because obviously I'm a lot older than you, Oliver, um, that I always thought that the director would tell me what to do. Mm. That's actually not the case. No, it's not. You, as an actor, come in with choices. You make choices, you explore, you play. Um, And then the director goes, "Mm, yeah, let's try this and let's try that and, they take your choices and they build on them or, you know, mold them somehow. And when an actor doesn't make choices, the director's sort of going, what have I got to tell you how to act? Do something, do something. And (laughs) I think a lot of actors then second guess their choices if they're stuck in their heads because they start thinking, oh, no, I can't do that. That would be too bold. That's too crazy. But if they're connected to their instincts, those choices come from a genuine place of, that sentence that he, those sentences that this character speaks are really short. I feel like I'm holding something back. I feel very direct in the way I'm approaching. So you, you're making really tangible choices which are valid based on the text mm. because you felt it. And that gives you then confidence as an actor. And that's what this is all about. It's about building your confidence in your choices, building confidence in you, in your self going back to that whole thing of you are enough exactly exactly i think i'm just reminded of a story i think arnold schwarzenegger told um when he was doing terminator it might be slightly different so just just forgive me if this is a little bit off topic but uh, james cameron wrote the line i'll be back which we all know and uh arnold sort of said i don't know i'm i'm a terminator i'm a machine you know i just I'll, I'll, it doesn't fit right in a machine. Surely it'd be, I will be back in a way. But James Cameron just went, okay, look, listen, let's make, thing one, let's make one thing very clear here, okay? You don't tell me how to write and I don't tell you how to act. That's the line I've written and that is what you were going to say. <laughs> and that's absolute. And I think that sort of reminds me of like what you were saying about the director and stuff like that. The director goes, but you're an actor, that's your job, isn't it? I don't, you know, I don't need to tell a, you know, Djokovic how to play tennis he just plays tennis <laughs> and you know I don't need to tell Gordon Ramsay how to make a souffle he knows how to make it let him yeah. get on with it you know if he wants to add I don't know raspberries to it or something like that oh, that's a very random example but it was just like let him you know let these people make their choices you know let the actor make the choice in a way and I think that's a very good very good part of it because I think if you're too reliant on the director you know you kind of walk into thinking 
this, this image of like someone helping you along in a way it's like, okay so in this scene you've got to look sad in this scene you've got to look happy and it's just like well kind of know that already mate and as I've read the script but um yeah I don't know if that makes I mean does, does that make sense it absolutely makes sense I think as well it would be nice and I know certain companies this but um that there's less of a hierarchy when it comes to rehearsals. Obviously the director is the director, has the final say, has everyone calling to that person, you know, light, sound, costume, movement. We're all like, what do you want? It's all coming from the director. So that we do have to have a leader. Um, but I do think, I wish there was more acknowledgement of the process and I, I, I include dancers in this, but that what actors bring, which is their choices, is is such a huge part of the creative process. It's not just one person's vision. It's it's the combination of, um, you know, when I got in the room with all of you with widows, and then I, I see and sense your energies, your ways of moving, the ways you're you're approaching things. It's like oh, it ignites ideas and ways of then coming up with something to apply. And I know that Sabs and I worked together on that, and we we loved that you know, when we put something in the room and see what you then take with that, your choices that you make with that and let it build. Um, yeah, I just, um, it would be wonderful to see how, and the same with dancers and choreographers, you know, dancers move and the choreographer goes, oh yeah, that, 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 that was nice, what you just did, which is yeah, yeah, the dancer's choice. And, <laughs> yeah, feeling. So <laughs> I think the more we're aware that it's, Creativity is such a beautiful, like smorgasbord melting pot of lots and lots and lots of people's ideas, thoughts, visions, everything coming together to produce something magnificent. Mm. Um, and that the actor is not to feel that they are just as equal and as valid is important, I think, especially when it comes to auditions. The cast and director wants you to make the choices the director wants you to make the choices. They want you to come in with your vision, your choice, your idea of it, so that they have something to choose from then. It gives them a choice. Because if we come in and try and, and I know I did this, give them what you think they want, you're yeah. never going to give them anything original. If you come in going, ah, oh, I don't know, I've been told that maybe that they want it like this, or maybe they all come in and you make a choice. Even if it's a choice they don't want, they'll remember that you came in with a really clear choice and they'll go, ooh, I really liked that actor's essence or that quality about them. I think they'd be really great in this. Mm. And you start building relationships. You come in as an equal creative from the auditions to rehearsals. Mm. Um, and I think that's key for an actor to feel empowered. Mm. Yeah, and I think the connection also, that, that's great. I just think about the connection with the, with the voice as well because I think voice you know is, is produced for movement as well as a result you know with the love and efforts and stuff so I've, I've got another story actually so all these things just keep popping into my head uh there's a story about um Eddie Redmayne about Eddie if you're listening mate I'm sorry but uh <laughs> hopefully he is love your work mate uh and uh he, he went for an audition for Bilbo Baggins before Martin Freeman got the role for The Hobbit and I think he he openly said this on Graham Norton. He said he like he went on YouTube and tried to copy what Ian Holm did and stuff like that. Try to be like an Ian Holmes kind of you know replica or like version number two. Anyway, it's not Eddie Redmayne coming into the room. 
and he got into the room and he and he put on this voice he was like my name is Booba Baggins and started doing all these kind of weird stuff and within about within about two lines the casting director just went no 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 own voice own voice and you know bring your authenticity to, to the role and he said yeah I didn't I didn't get a call back <laughs> <That> was, <laughs> yeah, I, was, I thought that was quite cool but uh, is that authenticity which you bring physically as well as with the voice and stuff like that is, is that something you've that you're interested in, interested in as well? Massively. And I think I learned that a lot when I lived in Los Angeles with the, I trained with, um, I wanted to go and try lots of different actor training um, uh, tutors. I'd say tutors, it's slightly different there. They're a little bit like gurus in Los Angeles, which is very different to our conservatoires. It, it, it does feel a bit like that, which I don't necessarily agree with um, because I think we all learn from different people, you know. Um, but I did work with Howard Fine, who uh, comes from sort of Uta Hagen's lineage of, of thinking and training. Yeah. And when I worked with Howard Fine, he was really big on sort of explaining what is required for the actor, what they need to do. But the one thing, the one question he asked was, what do you bring to Hollywood? What do you bring? And we're all thinking, I don't know, I don't know, what do I bring? Do I bring my skill set of... Uh, my, my jazz dance do I bring my my accents do I bring and we're thinking all like this and it's he just said but it's you you're what you bring to Hollywood there is no one else yeah. like you yeah and that's quite remarkable when you really start to tune into your true authentic self you'll realize how utterly unique highly employable you are because there ain't anyone else like you mm. no one maybe some similarities and that is the one thing I want actors to learn and know mm. but that's going back to where I believe the more you own your story and you're like ah you know I am who I am and this is this is um you know yourself you go on a journey with yourself you you can bring yourself into the room fully not in a apologetic way trying to fit in putting a mask on because this is how I think I need to behave in front of this casting director oh this casting director is very stern and I need to behave like this and and, and molding ourselves instead just come in whether you like me or not that's yeah. not on me whether yeah. you think what I've chosen to do works or not is not on me it's on you know you but I know I know my choices come from instinct impulse sensation combined with my thoughts you know it's not that we're just coming in with our body we're we're merging the two mind and body and then you've got a really powerful instrument at yeah. work there which as you just said then is massively integrated with the voice yeah. and i i often think you have so much to learn as actors yeah. you are you've constantly thrown stuff i could see that in rehearsals as well with widow widow you have so much to think about yeah. um and i was always like okay how can i unthink it and just bring it to their bodies because it's um <laughs> you have a lot to think about a lot to take on that it's almost like maybe there needs to be in conservatoire in conservatoires training now a more integrated movement voice that goes straight into text so it's less separate mm. and a bigger awareness of like we're all connected the movement you know voice comes from voice comes from the body it's mm. movement breath that connection the voice then takes the text we're going to move with the text and it all become much more integrated i think will 
maybe the connections can be made quicker for actors. I know that you eventually go, oh, that's why we do that. Oh, that's why we do that exercise. But maybe from the start, we merge them more seamlessly. So it's the awareness of the connection becomes bigger. I have so many actors, especially in LA, where it's predominantly TV and film, that are, they think movement's for theatre. You breathe, don't you? And especially on screen. If you haven't moved and released all your own tension and you are, you know, not just connecting to your breath, all of that tension and holding and trying to pretend will be so visible on screen, more so than in the theatre. So, you know, having to almost almost having to advocate for movement a lot with students to help them understand what we mean by movement. It's not dancing or sometimes it is, but it's more, it's your breath. It's the way you blink. Yeah. It's the way you turn your head. It's everything. Movement is life. Mm. Yeah. I'm just trying to think of, I'm just reminded of something which like the subtlety of movement, I think is just, it can create so much. And, uh, no, I, that, I did have an example in my head, but it involves a certain actor I'm not a fan of anymore. <laughs> His nickname rhymes with um, Macy, let's put it that way. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and, you know, sadly, you know, I, I suppose it, it's, it's a good example. I'm not going to say his name. It just makes my skin crawl. But uh, he just, he did this wonderful thing in one episode, but he'd, like, he'd be doing a scene there. So the camera's looking at him like that angle there. And he goes, yeah, I'll be down in a minute. Do you think I'd forgotten you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, perhaps you thought I had. And it's just that that small thing, you know, it's it's a shame to use that person, but I think, but that aside, you know, that's small, you know, we talk about big movements and stuff like that and wanting to create that impact, but actually it's just the small, sometimes it is the small subtle things which create the most like, bloody hell, <laughs> what's going yeah. on? I don't know whether Rose in her teaching of Laban, whether she gets you to be very, very physical with the exploration of the efforts. Yeah, particularly with slash and and thrust and everything. We're throwing ourselves all over the place. Great, great, because it's almost like we have to take it to the absolute limits so that when we bring it down to stillness, you have that residue, that energy in your body that's gone there. So that when you know, you know that at any minute you could just flash out and and it's possible. If you haven't explored it in your body, it's not been released. It hasn't been, ah, you haven't um, pushed it to see how far it can go. It's, I think I heard her talk about rage. Uh, you've got to find where does rage fully go when you let it out in a, in a, a way that's safe. Mm. Because if you don't feel safe and you suddenly are confronted with a scene and the character has to go to immense rage or fury, blind rage and you haven't gone there um you're not going to go there you're not going to feel free to go there because it's a it's a very very uncomfortable emotion in real life so it makes you feel a little bit nervous about daring to go there it's the same with movement if you've fully gone there in your movement you know it's in your body then you know you've gone there but if and the same with your voice if you've really explored something in your voice and then you do a scene and you might just keep the scene very still and contained. Mm. But you know where it went in your voice when you said a certain word. Mm. You know where that word went in your full body. 
And that will read so clearly in that nuanced way that you, you have a, an embodied memory of it. And that reads through the eyes, through something that you do a little look because you've experienced it. If you haven't experienced it, it won't be in your body. So it's um, all of that voice movement, take it as big as possible so that you can actually bring it to stillness. And there's the energy there, there's the essence okay. of it. Yeah, I did, did, did you see the 2014 production of The Crucible at the Old Vic at all? Did you manage to see it? I didn't, I think I was in Los Angeles then, but. Yeah, it's, it's on digital theater, so you can watch, watch it. I think, I think Central give you access to it. I think all universities do. But um, there's one actor there called Jack Ellis um, who played Danforth. And uh, I have to say, as much as I, I love Richard Armitage as John Proctor, I thought he did a fantastic job, but Jack Ellis just stole the show for me as Danforth as this aggressive, manipulative, and just so dark lawyer, you know, who thought that everything that he said was right. And it was almost like the, when he walked on stage, just that one moment, even though it's on camera, I didn't manage, I didn't manage to see it in the theatre, unfortunately. But even on camera, like he walked in and you just felt this air of shit. <laughs> and, and like, and there's this thing of like, this guy's got power and you feel that power. And he uses power in the wrong way as well yeah. to get what he wants or what he believes is right. And that's the character. He thinks it's God's, he's been put on this earth by God to kill anyone who they might even slightly suspect to be a witch and it's like and you that really really came across in like in his with his voice and the way he did everything and it's just you could tell that that made a huge difference to that when you feel it here and I think you know Grania at GSA talks about the artistic center and uh, Rose talks about like you said like you go for like the madness and then you internalize it and then yeah. you have that feeling just sort of like, not bottled up in a way, that's the wrong word to say, but you have it internalized. So it's flowing into the rage, it's flowing in you, but actually all you're doing is sitting still. Or just yeah, sitting but still. And it's like, it's potent. And I was holding onto my chair thinking, who the fuck is this guy? And I, was yeah. like, it's quite, I was scared of him, I really, really was. And uh, yeah, and like you said, everything that, if you do that, it creates something just, so palpable it's like oh my god what am i seeing right now who is this guy or who is this person you know you know who is who is she or who is they you know it's like it's like the minute yeah. <laughs> walks in a room or the minute someone walks on stage we are reading them judging them sensing them and nothing has been spoken mm. so as an actor understanding that power of having that internalized distillation of whatever physically and vocally you felt on a maximum scale, bringing it into that internalized potent distillation of the essence of the character. When you walk on, it's felt, whatever that is, whether that's the light airiness of, you know, Juliet in Romeo and Juliet, that's yeah, in yeah. love, we'll feel it and we are immediately affected before even words have been spoken. We're like, ah, oh, I feel, you know, we, we, we're, we're, we're mirroring people all the time. We're, we're watching their, their bodies, their muscular tensions, their facial expressions, and we're reading it and we're being affected by it. And the same with you, with that actor coming on in the crucible, you were like, I don't know what I'm feeling, but I'm terrified now. Mm -hmm. And it's just an essence that that actor's then bringing in before they've even spoken, which shows the power you have as actors. Mm. 
of that intention that right this is how i'm walking on this is how we do it this is yeah how, how we create stuff yeah that's that's amazing and it's just that or it's like you create an aura about you that you create an aura of um slash or anger or you create this aura of lightness and delight like Juliet or you know that the opening scene of the sound of music you know the hills are alive the sound of music and just there's that lightness and freedom there and you know Julie Andrews does an incredible job you know I'm sure pretty much everyone everyone's seen it but you know it's yeah and it's just so that's so great to hear that and have that as yet another thing to add into the actor's toolbox it's a phrase that we talk about a lot here at um at gsa you know keep adding stuff to that and yeah. you know and you know thank you for sharing sharing all that you know i feel really inspired right now and then you know <laughs> and uh and particularly with with alexis as well the character i played in widows you know if anyone who knows who knows the play knows that he doesn't uh, he doesn't have a lot to say for alexis you know he you know and i did that i'll be honest i did that selfish actors thing when i first got the script and i kind of flicked through it and i thought bloody hell, I don't have much to say, do I? <laughs> but I did that thing, but then I just thought, and then I spoke to, um, did you meet Chris Palmer when you spent time at GSA at all? I didn't know. Oh, Chris is just wonderful, wonderful lady. She's a voice teacher. She's just a master of, of the voice. And yeah, she's been on the show and everything. And she's just been, she's just been an amazing person to learn from. She said, I said to her, oh, yeah, I've got this part. I don't have many lines, but I, I suppose, is there such a thing as a small part? She goes, no absolutely not and you have more to play with as well she said she did a show where an actor came on stage and only had one word to say throughout the whole show and that was the word no but every time he walked on stage with this presence and like the, the body and the aura he created and just went no I, can't, I don't know what the context was but no and she said he stole the fucking show absolutely and and also there's that famous line there are no small parts only small actors very true. Who, who, said that? who said that again? Again, I'm paraphrasing wildly. Some probably legend. I can't remember now, but it's true. It's, um, you're a legend. So. <laughs> but it's true. It's like, well, um, yeah, it is the go-to for a lot of actors. Like, oh, I'm not saying much, but it's like, but a lot of the time, and I think Rose talked about this, isn't it? It's like, uh, text is about 5% of the actual communication. The rest is uh, your body, your essence, your energy, your vocal tone, your facial expressions, and then what you actually say. And let's also just consider that very rarely are we actually saying what we really think. We're saying something else. Uh, but no, that was wonderful to see your journey with Alexis on that play because it, 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 it was very apparent um, of the through story and your presence spoke volumes. And I have to say, I mean, that fight scene that obviously I was in the room when you first worked on that, what's well, not really a fight scene, is it? It's the scene with you and Tracy that was playing Sophia and yeah. Joe that was the captain. Um, combat. <laughs> yes, the the um, the unfortunate scene in the captain's office where yeah. Yeah, <laughs> the demise of Alexis, maybe. Yeah. But I, I died. <laughs> <laughs> but it was really interesting how... Um, you have to remember as an actor, you've, we're, we're coming to see a story and you're all part of that story. And if you're all wanting to be the lead, you know, voice or the lead point of view, it, the story can't be told. 
But what I wanted to say was that I remember watching that scene in the dress rehearsal when we then added you're in costume and you had the, uh, the special effects that you needed. Mm-hmm. And I'd watched you rehearse that endless times. I'd seen Andy set it. Mm-hmm. And then when it came to the moment of watching it, I actually gasped with shock. I was like, oh, I was actually shocked. You surprised me and shocked me and I knew what was coming. And that's about as an actor knowing that you are telling the story and that your part is as absolutely equal as a part that has more lines and maybe has the point of view of the story without you, you know, the essence of it or the journey or the, you know, the the different roles that you all played, it wouldn't come together. Mm. And it was lovely to see you actually on that journey, Oliver, to see that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Seriously, thank you. I mean, and and that was a big thing for me as well, because, and as you say, like we go through this step by step by step. Yes, we're in the back of our heads or back or in our bodies. We know, okay, now it's this scene and now it's the next bit and my next next entrance is here. So yeah, of course we're thinking that. But I think one thing I said to myself was, okay, I have to play this in real time. I have to just take this journey one step at a time. And yes, I know what my next line is. Yes, I know where I have to be here. Okay, now I've done this bit, now it's the fight sequence. But it was this feeling of, you have to be, I tried to be present. I could have, I could have gone a bit further with it, but I think I could have been a little bit more present, but I wanted just to prioritize the, the present tense of Alexis and like and his backstory and everything was living in me and, and of this for anyone who hasn't seen the play Alexis is basically this character who I think he rebels against Alexandra his mum you know he's Sophia is his grandma who's significantly more closer to he's grown up in this world of just you know playing on rubble playing on bomb sites you know exploring abandoned buildings because he's looking for that thrill that freedom that escape and my, my word was freedom you know i think we went around in a circle yeah every character's like what's your need you know people were like uh, i don't know integrity or power and mine was freedom and just finding that and it really did choke me up with a few times in rehearsal and it was like bloody hell and you know there are i watched some stuff on youtube i spoke to someone who actually lived through the pinochet times and it was like, it was based around the uh, dictatorship in Chile. And it was just like this feeling of, well, on the surface, like, my God, this kid's got a lot of rotten luck. <laughs> you know, he hasn't got anything to sort of live for. And then to add insult to already incredible injury, he gets taken away by the police, gets beaten up, and then is killed to make a point that the people in power just want to have even more power. And that's very, very real. That's That happened. That happened yeah. actually from yeah. 73 to 91. So we're telling the truth in a way. People say, oh yeah, but it's just a play. It's not true. <laughs> On the contrary, sir or madam, who, or whoever wants to say that. And yeah, it, we're telling true stories and that physical journey inside, which you helped immensely with and was just, huge and it was interesting Oliver watching you following the fight call the fight rehearsal that you had yeah um how it shifted you in an embodied way and you didn't even realize I don't think I think I made a comment to you and I went it's almost like you've got the history of that fight that's just happened to you in your body now and something you moved differently there was like a there was something weightier in you that I went, oh, wow, it's amazing that you've 
spent all of those hours working on that fight that mm-hmm. happens in the journey of Alexis's life and how that really supported and um, enabled you for a deeper embodiment, um, mm. which was wonderful to see. Really nice to see that journey. I have a question for you actually, Oliver. Yes, go Remember ahead. we spoke about um, what is it that you want as an actor? Because it's a little bit about my, yes. my belief that there are so many people that want to be actors. And sometimes I think actors think it's only just about the work but I believe that to be an actor is actually a, um, a way of life. And it's actually um, about an ongoing practice because the work, you know what? The work, it comes, it goes, it's there, it's not. It happens quite a lot and then suddenly dry period of nothing. Oh, yeah. um, so actors cannot have their sense of self and their sense of worth completely attached to work. Of course, work will happen, the joy of that will happen, but. What is it for you that you uh, love or want to bring as an actor? <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, great question. What do I want to bring? Yeah, you've got me thinking now. Got me thinking. Uh, I feel like you just answered it, actually, when you were talking about play. Um, yeah, I, I would say what I want to bring is authenticity yeah yeah i one huge journey for me through my ba and through this year was to embrace who who i am and and who what i like to do yeah what makes me happy you know and you know if if that you know it's like partying until four o'clock in the morning i've discovered that's not that's not me you know and stuff but you know i'll be sitting there going can I go home now <laughs> I don't like I don't like this anymore. Music, music's too loud but uh but don't get me wrong that's a good night but anyway uh yeah I just want to embrace me and I spent far too much time I think just as you said earlier just like almost like apologizing for me just being in in a room or something like that and I've sort of had people say to me and I've said to myself like, stop it it's just you know you are who you are you know your authentic self and I believe more a lot more now in myself and have faith in myself about what I can bring to the table what you know I know what I can bring to the table I can bring I'm just gonna say it I can bring hard work I can bring authenticity and I can bring me and my perceptions of who this person is and I want to bring it to the stage and god it's like my I don't know how to articulate it, but yeah, I just, I, I just want to bring myself to the table, what I can offer. You know, if it's not what you're looking for, then fine. I just want to have the opportunity to show what I can do. Yeah. And, and then we just move on to the next job. And it's been a huge a roller coaster of a process just to say, I am Oliver Gower and this is what I do. Um, oh, I mean, that's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> the, the first word you said was authenticity. And yeah. then you talked about widows about telling the stories. It's like, it's so important. Yeah. We have more people that are authentic, telling stories, being themselves. Mm. And that is massive. Um, and that means that you'll be on this journey forever because it's an ongoing thing that you'll keep uncovering and discovering yeah. more about. Yeah, massively. And again, you said earlier, like, okay, we're, it's almost like we go to drama school, we leave, we're actors. And it's like, okay, no, 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 Okay, I've still got so much to do, so much, so much to do. And, you know, it's, 
it's funny because again, going back to Yael Faber, she said to all of her casts, never stop searching, you know, never stop searching for, even on that last performance, she'll be saying to Jack Ellis or Richard Armitage or, or anyone, everyone in the cast, Adrian Schiller, pick up that script and, or just go for a walk or just find something that you haven't discovered yet. You know, you might discover something on the last performance. You go, oh shit, why didn't I discover that earlier? And, you know, but, but, you know, that's part of it. And, you know, I look back on Alexis now and think, oh, you know, I think, oh, I could have done this or I could have done that. It was like, well, okay, it does, doesn't matter. Good sign, though. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, I, I suppose, yeah, but I would, I said to Matt, uh, Matthew Monaghan, the director, I said to him, look, I wish we had like a week of performances. Let, let's do eight shows. I want to do a full week of, of a run and just see, just to see what else we discover, because I think there's so much more I could have done with Alexis. I'm, I'm, don't get me wrong, I'm very happy with what I've, with what I did but and but there's always there's always that feeling of my gut I've seen my gut right now is to say look there's always it's always further you can go there's always yes. that little bit further or that you know however whatever the distance you can always go that little bit further and um that comes I think from it's settling as well like you the text that the what you have to do settles and suddenly you're like oh, let me do it again, let me do it again, because now I really, I don't have to think about it, I don't have to worry about that costume change, I don't have to worry about that, I can just do it. Um, and that's quite normal. So yeah, you're right that it's nice to get a longer run. But yeah. I think it's really good that you are still thinking, oh, there was more, there was more. And I think, I think that's great. It yeah. just means that you're wanting to continue that exploration. And it was such a visceral, palpable play widows yeah. the way Matthew had directed it the set the sound design the lighting the fight obviously the movement that the the elements involved and then obviously the story and all of you actors bringing that to life it was gloriously visceral yeah you know you could really feel it mm. and like reach out and touch it the world that was created which is yeah it's really exciting it was, a, it was a blessing to be a part of and an experience that I'll never forget. Absolutely. I, I feel the same, Oliver. I feel very blessed that that was my experience as well. Yeah, fantastic. Oh, mate, Rebecca, I could talk to you for hours, honestly. I still, I still have so many questions to ask you, but I know we're pushed for time. Uh, so, I, you know, we're, yeah, we've got, to, we've got to wrap up now. But uh, I just I want to finish on just on one last question, just, just before you shoot off. Um, uh, out of everything you've done so far, and obviously you're going to continue to do amazing things in movement and acting and directing. And, and uh, I know you've got your film, was it Moved? Um, yeah, Moved. Um, yeah. yeah. That's up on the Central website, which is, I think it's a beautiful exploration of someone looking back on old photos and visualising their partner next to them and feeling that movement. Again, it's on the Central website, guys. Seriously, go check it out. It's... And it's on Vimeo as well. It's just a and these are two great actors, by the way, Matthew Law and Gracie Mercedes. They're amazing actors. Amazing, yeah. yeah. And like, like you said, like earlier, it's like bringing that movement to the camera and everything. It's like there is no separation. There's no difference between the theatre and, and the camera. So I think obviously you might have to tone it down just a little bit in camera. Oh, no, not not tone it down, but like find find a way of just. I don't know, was it, is it the same when you rehearsed, like if you rehearsed it in a space and then on, on camera? Was there a great uh, difference? Well, Matt Hopp, he was the camera operator. He was, he just moved with me. So I sort of was stood behind him watching it from the camera. So then you, okay. instead of 
you know, when we, we did the rehearsals in the studio without the camera and then when the camera was there, then it became about what my eyes became the camera. And so the movement looked very differently because we could then get close-ups of hands, you know, connecting and yeah. um, so it does change it. So the camera becomes part of the choreography as well or the movement. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so that is quite interesting. So yeah. it wasn't really toned down, but you just become aware of, yeah, just where you bring your eye, the focus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry, yeah, sorry uh, tone down was the wrong wrong word to use there. So apologies for that, but uh, it's great. Um, yeah. So the question I want to finish on today is um, of everything you've done, and you know, you're going to continue to do some amazing things. I'm looking forward to more films that you're going to put out and more other projects you're going to be involved with, and which I'll definitely come and see or definitely watch. Um, in everything you've done so far, tell me about an experience that you've had to this day that you'll never ever forget. Um. I think, <laughs> uh, okay, there's, there's like, I think this is the deep down, my inner child who wanted to deep down be Kylie Minogue or Madonna. Um, I think my big experience that I absolutely loved as a performer was when I did the music video, Sonny J. Mm -hmm. um, I felt like I actually was Kylie Minogue or Madonna for one day, <laughs> just eight hours, I pretended to be that person um, and I think it was made more extraordinary because it was one of those opportunities that came about a friend calling me uh, someone's looking for an actress dancer are you in London at the moment yes I am can you go to this place and meet the director oh, okay I met the director had to come back and meet the choreographer and then it was filming the next day it was such a quick thing and to suddenly be on set it was at the George Lucas studio in Elstree Boreham Wood and it was this massive, beautiful set. Uh, and I had the most glorious experience of eight hours of being me pretending to be <laughs> Madonna or Kylie Minogue. Um, but I think I'm really excited. So that was like a big moment of what I remember, uh, which is, I think, going back to connecting to our joy, connecting to what really we really love. Uh, I have many wonderful experiences and memories of shows I've done. Um, the Fox by D.H. Lawrence, which was at the English Theatre in Frankfurt. That was a massive, um, amazing experience directed by Ryan McBride. Mm. Um, but I'm actually really looking forward to this next chapter for me as I now transition yeah. more into, um, you know, I want to do much more writing. Um, I've got mm -hmm. my ideas on my book that I want to write. Yay. And yeah, just exciting about supporting actors on this journey. I can't wait. I can't wait for the release. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> when it's written. Uh, is it in shop? Will it be in shops this year or are we looking more to Oh, no, no. Let's get the MA finished first. <laughs> MA, and, then we'll, and then we'll start writing. Then we'll move on to the next bit of writing. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to that. And of course, the films and the projects and everything in between. Uh, Rebecca, thank you so much for today. This has been an absolute joy. To, Oliver, to thank you so much. Yeah, no, I've still, I've still got all these questions I want to ask you, but obviously, but we might have to do a part two or something. I'm not sure, but I'm sure we'll find, I'll find the time to ask you those questions again. But, uh, but yeah, guys, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. This has been the bleh, the Uncensored Critic podcast. Thank you so much for listening, for tuning in, and I'll be back soon. And Rebecca, once again, um, just uh, I'll finish the recording now. If you just hang on, I'll say goodbye to you one to one after we finish. And, uh, but yeah, thank you so much again, and guys. Thank you, and I'll be back soon. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening.